Amen. Good morning, Cross Point Church. How many of you excited about being here this morning? It is great to see you. What a great crowd we have here this morning. I know things are about to get back to normal as we resume school. How many of you excited about school starting back? Uh, about a third of you. That's probably the parents celebrating their children going back to school. So, uh, But anyway, it's good to see you here today. I'm excited about uh, all that God is doing in this place. You know, before we get into the message, I just want to celebrate something with you this morning. Uh, last Sunday, we had one big life group. How many of you were a part of that event last Sunday night here at Cross Point? It was a great time as we gathered in this place. And uh, I tell you, uh, if we start too many more life groups, we're not going to be able to fit all the life groups into this building in one one great big life group. And so, uh, but it was an incredible time of just gathering uh, as small groups came together. Uh, it was amazing because I think every life group in our church has their own t-shirt. So as everybody flooded into this building, it looked like all these teams were forming. And, and, and before long, it almost kind of resembled a pep rally or something. But, uh, but it was good. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great time of fellowship and, and, and just gathering together. And because of that, we, uh, we, there was just so much excitement that we decided that we're going to do that once or twice a year. So uh, it, it, you can celebrate that. Uh, I, I saw a few people clapping like this, you know. And so uh, just give praise to Jesus, man. It was, it was a good time. But speaking of gathering, I also want to mention to you, uh, also on August the 22nd, that's a Saturday from 9.30 to 3.30, our women will be gathering for their annual one-day retreat. This is where the ladies of our church come together for one day uh, where they, they have time to, to really uh, do some discipleship and, and, and point to the gospel, but also it's really uh, designed to be a connection point for uh, ladies in our church to connect with one another. Uh, we are going to hold it this year at our Quitman campus, which gives us an opportunity as the women of the church to go down there and to see what's happening in Quitman, but also encourage the ladies that are down there as well, and so by meeting in their space, and so it's going to be a great time. If you've, if you've never been to the Quitman campus, that might be a reason to go, but a better reason, I think, to go would be to just connect with ladies and women that are doing ministry in our church, but uh, a couple of great things going on there, and uh, just really excited about the opportunity to celebrate all that God's doing here. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series called Welcome to Our Church, and, and really the purpose of this, this, uh, this series is to expose the DNA of, of our church to really reveal who we are and what we're all about and who we're all about. And so I'm very excited about the message here this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into the Word. And uh, so pray with me this morning. Let's celebrate Jesus together through prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we... Uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence in our life. We thank you for this time of, of amazing worship where we have come together collectively as a body to just worship you in spirit and truth. And God, we just celebrate Jesus this morning, God, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we celebrate the things that Jesus accomplished for us when he was willing to go to the cross and die for our sins. And Lord, how his blood atoned for our the, uh, for our sins, the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Father, we celebrate all of that this morning as we gather together as a faith family. Lord, we're thankful for the work that you're doing in this place. We're thankful for the life transformation that we see every day. We thank, we're thankful for those who uh, came this morning just in a spirit of, of obedience to be baptized, a believer's baptism. 
And so, Father, we celebrate all this and what you're doing among us. And, and God, we just look forward to, with great anticipation to the things that you are leading us to continue to do as we take light into the darkness, as we take the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. And so, Father, be with us now as we dive into your word. Lord, as we pray here this morning, I pray that we would just place aside all distractions in our life. God, I know that many of us walked into this building today God, with, with issues that we've got to deal with after church. But, Father, I pray that for a moment, Lord, we could focus on you. God, we could listen to your word. And, God, that we would just be ready to receive that which you want to give us in the way of encouragement, comfort, or conviction. Lord, we love you so much, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, we kick off this series called Welcome to Our Church. Uh, I, I want to just say this, that when we think about the word church and what we look into Scripture and we, we, we see all that, that the Scripture teaches us about church, we begin to see that, that when the word church is used, it's identifying really two different things for us to understand. The first thing is this, is that the, many times in Scripture we see the word church and we begin to realize that what, what that is talking about is a, a universal body of believers that uh, that, that is all over this world. In other words, we know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who are, who are living in China or Japan or Raleigh or Chicago. And, and what we can celebrate here today is that we belong to the body of Christ, which encompasses all believers uh, and followers of Christ Jesus throughout the world. But we also see when we look into Scripture that the, the word church often refers to a local body of believers, a very specific body of believers that are gathering together, that, that God has assembled together and that they have chosen to, to meet together. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures. In the New Testament, many times when the Apostle Paul is, is writing his letters, he's writing to the Philippians or he's writing to the Ephesians. And what he's doing is he is writing these letters to a local body of believers who are gathering in those specific cities. And so it's really amazing how we read through the Scriptures and we see how church is identified as, as these two things. Now, the local church is what I want to focus on here this morning because uh, the series is titled Welcome to Our Church. And obviously, we don't claim any ownership to our church. We know that Jesus is the head of our church, and so we want to just praise him for that. Uh, but the reality is he is the one who has assembled us together in this remarkable place where we can come together and celebrate Jesus together. And I want to talk about the local church because I want to talk about those things that pertain to us as a gathering, as, a, as an assembly that Jesus has put together. When we look in Scripture, we see that, that oftentimes local churches are identified by several different things. We can see that they are identified by their, their vision. And, and many times the local gatherings have very unique visions that God has given them to, to accomplish the things for His kingdom and their community. We see that many times that, that churches' local gatherings are defined by their culture. And one of the things that we celebrate here at Cross Point Church is a very diverse culture that is among us. We, we have old and we have young. We have people of many different races. And, and, and I, I celebrate that because I believe that, that this is the way Christ intended his church to be. And so we see that here. We also know that the church is identified many times by its unique passions or, or its very specific passions. One of those passions should be for all churches is a passion for Jesus Christ. 
How many of you this morning are passionate for Jesus Christ and what he has done for you in your life? Amen. We celebrate Jesus this morning. And so this morning we want to talk about what it means to be a Christ-centered church. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is the one who created and instituted the church. And so if Jesus is the head, then that seems like the place to begin in a series called Welcome to Our Church. Amen? And so this morning we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. If you have your electronic device with your Bible on it, that's okay too. Just don't let us catch you on Facebook this morning, not yet anyway. But the reality is we want you to go to God's Word and we want to read this together as we explore this text together and dive deeper into this passage. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3 and we're starting at verse 14 and we're going through verse 21. A very uh, amazing passage of Scripture that, that I just love so much. Recently, we, we took uh, our life group, in fact, last Sunday... Uh, night we took our life group through this passage but it was sort of like a rock skimming across water we just touched on a few things but I want us to dive deeper tonight uh, today I want us to dive deeper this morning and what we're going to be doing is really expounding on this this text that we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 through 21 but Paul starts out in Ephesians and he's talking about something very specific he's talking about the mysteries of the gospel Immediately, the Apostle Paul begins to focus on the gospel. And he begins to talk about how this message of Christ, this good news of Jesus, can be sort of mysterious. And, and what Paul is basically doing is he, is he is basically acknowledging that there is so much to explore and so much to understand, and that he hasn't even come to a place where he fully understands it all. But here's what Paul knows is that this gospel message, this gospel of according to Christ, is the authority in our life, and it is the truth that is presented to us about eternal salvation. And he knows that, that this message of Christ is something that all people should hear. That this is the message of hope and, and salvation to the world. And so Paul, in, in chapter 3, he begins to talk about this mysterious gospel, this good news of Jesus, and as he begins to present that, he, he begins to reflect on the reality that he is called to take the gospel message to the world. And so he talks about his personal calling, the, the, the reality that he feels that God has called him to be uh, what he would describe in the epistles as a bondservant to Christ Jesus. In other words, someone who is faithful to go out and to serve him and his kingdom and his kingdom alone. And so you begin to see as you study the life of Paul that he was very intentional about living for Jesus. And this is something we see time and time again in his life, not only through his own writings, but also the testimony of others as they look into the Apostle Paul's life. And so we see this calling that he begins to talk about. But here's what's really remarkable. We're going to see this in just a moment. But he, he begins to also talk about not only has God called him individually to carry light into the darkness, to carry the gospel to the world, but he says he also has been called as, as an individual to share the good news through the church. And so he identifies the local church. He identifies this church. He's speaking to a local gathering of believers who reside in Ephesus. 
And he says that I, I recognize my calling and my calling to be used through the church. And so he, he sort of brings the local gathering alongside him as he talks about his calling to live for Jesus. In verse 9 and 10, we see this. He says that he is called to bring light for everyone. And I think it's important we, that we realize that. To bring light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And so Paul says this, I'm called as a messenger of Jesus to take the gospel to the world. And he sent me to work along beside the church. To do the same thing. In other words, every one of us sitting here as authentic followers of Christ Jesus are called to the exact same thing that Paul himself has identified he being called to, and that is to take the gospel to the world. Pretty simple, huh? Now here's the thing that really makes this passage powerful to me. Is that Paul, in recognizing this, the very next things that we see, starting in verse 14, is that Paul feels so passionate about this calling on his life and so, so convinced that this is what God wants he and the church to do that he says, this is what drives me to my knees in prayer before a holy God praying that we as the church would keep our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be a church who is kingdom-focused and kingdom-minded and that God would use us in a remarkable way to reach the lost. And so what Paul says very simply is, is this, and I believe he, he believes this with all of his heart. He believes that if our focus is spiritual, that is in Christ Jesus, then what we will see as the church is unimaginable. Amen. God will use his church in such a remarkable way when his church is focused on Jesus. So let's read this here this morning. He says, starts it out in verse 14, he says this. He says, for this reason I bow before the Father, because I know, he says, I know that God will use his church to do remarkable things. I know that he will use his church and that God will show up in such an extraordinary way that, that it will blow us away. And because of this, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, that you may be grounded in love, excuse me, I, I skipped a verse there, that he may grant you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend what all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says this in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I love this passage because in his prayer, Paul describes really a Christ-centered church. He, he, he describes this church through a prayer. He says, this is what I'm praying for. But what he's focused on is, is the church being Christ-centered, where Jesus is center of all things, where Jesus truly is the author and the perfecter of their faith. He, he says, man, I pray that the church would be focused on Jesus. And then what he goes on to say is he says, I know that Jesus is changing lives. I know that God is capable of doing all those things. I've seen the power of God at work among people. But he says also, he says this, he says, I know that when the church focuses on Christ in such a way, when Jesus is the center of our entire focus, that God is capable and willing to do things that are beyond what we can even imagine in our own minds. Man, that just reveals how awesome our God is. Amen? It's powerful. And so here, this morning, I want to I reveal a couple of things to you. I think there's two simple truths that are revealed here, and, and I'll give you these, but I want to dive in really to that first truth, that first, that first spiritual truth that we see, and here it is, that a Christ-centered church has a spiritual focus. And when I say spiritual, I mean a, a Jesus focus, a, a Christ-centered focus, okay? You think about how we focus on so many things in this world. There are so many things that we as individuals can can sort of get distracted by, amen? In this world, we see there's a lot of distractions in our life, but churches are the same way. There are a lot of ways the, the churches, congregations all over this nation and this world, if they're not careful, they'll get distracted on many different things. Believe it or not, a, a church can become very worldly if you're not careful. We see this even in Scripture. This isn't something new. But churches, if they're not careful, they'll lose their focus. They'll, they'll focus on very practical things that they feel like, you know, maybe that makes them feel good about life and about their Christianity, and they, they seem to leave Jesus out of the picture. I had a friend that, was a, that, that is a coach to, to church planners. He, he mentors church planners, and he told me the story one day of a, of a time when he went into a church, and, and he was meeting with the pastor of this church, this church planner who had started this new work, and he began to tell me how this, this guy was so excited. The church was growing in numbers. Things were really seemed to be happening, and so he asked the, the young church planner, he said, well, what, what's going on? What's, what are you doing? What's happening? And so he began to tell all these things, and for 30 or 40 minutes, this young pastor just went on and on talking about all the great things that they're seeing in the life of the church and, and how they're doing all of these things. And, and as this mentor listened carefully, he became a bit saddened because he wasn't hearing a lot of talk about Jesus. And so at the end of the conversation, as, they, as the guy sort of wound down on all the things that the church was doing, he finally looked at the pastor and he wasn't judging him. He was thinking maybe he was just sort of misunderstanding what he was saying. But he asked this young pastor, he said this very simple question. He goes, well, all that's good and well, but where's Jesus in all of that? And the young pastor just kind of looked at him like a deer in the headlights. And suddenly tears began to well up in his eyes. And 
He started thinking, trying to come up with an answer of how Jesus was being exalted in the life of the church and how they were sharing Jesus. And he finally looked at his mentor and he says, I don't know where Jesus is at in all of this. Churches can lose their way just like we as individuals can lose our way and get distracted by the things of this world. We can become very worldly instead of being very spiritual. Many times churches begin to to, to think with reason, and reason replaces the spiritual element or the, the Christ-centeredness in their life. And, and, and churches begin to set goals that, that are very easily accomplished in their own power rather than depending on a, an all-powerful God that they are assembling together to worship. And so many times we see that churches lose their spiritual focus. They lose the, the reality that Jesus should be center of what they are doing. And so this morning we want to look into this because Paul, what he says here is he says, I know what God is capable of doing. I know that God is capable of so many things beyond what we can even imagine. And so Paul says here, he says, because of this, I fall on my knees. I pray to a holy and righteous God and I ask God to come into our life and to help us to understand the things that we need to understand that we as a church may remain Christ-centered. Now I want to this morning, I want to present to you these very specific things that Paul prayed for because as I think about your life and my life as individuals, I think, man, these are things that we need to be praying for in our life. As I think about the life of Cross Point Church, I think, man, in the same way that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, we need to be praying that these are the things that line up with us as Cross Point Church. Paul says, this is what makes us Christ-centered. This is the thing that, that Christ, when he sees in us, will, will begin to do an incredible work in our life that is beyond anything we can imagine. We say a lot of times that we have been called to reach Valdosta for Christ. We can't do that in our own strength. And so here's what Paul prays for. Several things here I want to point out to us in this text. Let's dig deeper into this text and, and take a look at it. In verse 16, we read this. It says, it says here that, that Paul, praying to the Father, he prays that this, that according to the riches of his glory, look at this now, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, but don't leave this out, through his Spirit. And so here, Paul, one of the things that Paul starts off talk, uh, praying for is this. He prays for a strength and power among the church. He prays that, that as a church, we would have the power that we need to accomplish the things that he has called us to do. But what Paul doesn't do is say that we would just be strengthened in power. No, he prays that we would be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The strength of the, the Spirit of God is the best strength we could ever receive. Amen? The strength of God in our life, the strength of God in our life is what gives us the real eternal power that we need to do the things that God has called us to do for His glory and for His kingdom. The things that are much bigger than ourselves. And so what Paul says here is he says, man, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would have a strength and power, that, that there would be strength among you, that there would be power in, in the work that you are, that, that God would grant you power, but this power would come through his presence, through his Holy Spirit. 
God gives us strength for our soul. He gives us strength for our faith. He gives us strength that we may serve. He gives us strength that we may endure. He gives us strength that we may persevere. But we need his strength. We need his strength. He's not just praying for a common strength. He's not praying for a worldly strength. He's praying for the strength of God in our life, the power of God in our life. Philippians 4.13 is a very familiar passage to us. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthened us. And many of us pray that when we feel weak, don't we? Many of us pray that prayer when we, when we feel weak, when we feel challenged, when we feel uh, inadequate. We may, we, we may remember this verse and we, we turn to it often and, we, you know, and we, we, just, we read it and we hope that it encourages us. But when we pray for strength, we need to be praying for the, the strength, the power of God through his Holy Spirit to come into our life. And so Paul says, stay focused. Make God the center of what you pray for. Let Jesus be the center of, of your salvation. Let Jesus be the center of your sanctification. Let Jesus be the center of your life. And so he, ta- he calls us to pray for that as well. And, and the second thing he's, we see here is this, is that, that Paul not only prays for this power through the Spirit, but he also prays that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And let's not take this lightly. He says, he says I pray for strength, but I pray that Christ would dwell within you. I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts, is what he says specifically, through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at what he says here in verse 17. He says, he says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, he would say that belief that you say that you have, it's real. That faith that you declare for your life that you have in Jesus Christ, the faith that, 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 that you believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus really did come and walk on this earth, that Jesus really did suffer and die on the cross, that Jesus really did ascend from the grave in three days. He was resurrected by the power of God from the grave and that he lives today. That faith, I pray that it would, it would dwell deeply within your heart. That the faith that you need to to live through this life would be real in your life. That you would know with with all certainty that God is real in your life and that that you would have the faith to believe in this, that indwelling presence of God. What he's really saying here, and I love this, is he's pointing to the reality that when we begin to have that kind of faith and when we begin to pray for an indwelling presence of Christ in our life, then we begin to take on the image of Jesus. You see, we are declared, as believers, we are declared righteous through Christ Jesus. We're not righteous because of anything on our own. We're righteous because of the blood of Jesus. We're righteous because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what he conquered from the grave. We're we're righteous because he is righteous. And what the gospel teaches us is that as believers in Christ Jesus, we are called to, to live our life in the image of Christ. 
that we with our lives would pursue holiness. You see, when, when Jesus came into our life and, and redemption became a reality, we, Jesus began immediately replacing who we once were with who he is. And through sanctification of the Holy Spirit of God in our life, he begins to mold and shape us as believers to where we begin to look more like Jesus. My prayer for us as a church is that as we go out into our community and we engage in, 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 the, in the people that live in our community, that when people look into our life, they don't see us, they see Jesus. And they see his holiness and they see his righteousness. What they don't see when they look into our life is worldliness. They see Jesus. And so Paul says, man, I know that as a church, we need, to, we need to possess the image of Christ. We need to look like Jesus. We need to live a life that is holy like Jesus. Not because we're holy, not because we're righteous on our own, but because through Christ Jesus, he has made us righteous. A.W. Tozer, he said it like this. He said, he said holiness, as taught in the scriptures, is not based upon knowledge on our part, but rather it is based on the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. And so the same prayer that, prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians, I pray for us and I hope that you will join me in praying with us together that we would all come together and pray that what would begin to shape our lives is not worldliness, but holiness. That we would begin to take on the embodiment of Christ, that we would look like Jesus instead of like the world. The third thing that Paul prays for very emphatically, he says, I pray that they would be grounded in love. I pray, I pray that the church would be grounded in love. Our world these days, can I just say this? Our world these days is infected with hatred. It's sickening. It's sickening where everywhere you turn, it just seems like people are hating on one another. And you look around and you say, where's the love in this world? You look around and you just see bitterness and hatred everywhere. It's in, it's in every place. It's in every corner that you go to. It's, it just seems to be everywhere. People hating on one another. But what Paul says is he says, I pray that as the church, what people would see in the church is not hatred, is not bitterness, is not conflict, but what I pray that people would see in the church is love. Why? Because God is love. And if God is love, then his people should be love. That's what I pray for. I pray that people would begin to love like Christ loves, unconditionally, unwavering, unconditional, that people would begin to love like Jesus because we're supposed to, as believers, look like Jesus. And so quit hating. That's what Paul says. I, he says, I believe, I know that God is capable of doing more than we could ever do, but we must take on those characteristics, the very nature of Christ Jesus. He is the starting point. He is the starting point. He is the center of what we declare for ourselves when we say we are Christian. He is the center. And so Paul says, I pray that the church would love. He says here in the verse 17, the last part of this, that you would be rooted and grounded 
in love, that you would be rooted and grounded. In other words, there's no wavering in your love. There's no wavering in loving one another. There's not hatred for one another. There's love for one another. This is what God has called us to as believers. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, 8. Powerful passage of Scripture. If this doesn't challenge you to your toes, I don't know what does. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Stop hating. Start loving because God is love. Augustine once said this. He says, what does love look like? What does love look like? He says, it has hands to help others. It has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see the misery and want. And it has ears to hear the sighs and the sorrows of men. That's what love looks like. I love that. That we would become the hands and feet of Christ. Going out into a community. Carrying light into a darkness. Carrying the gospel message of hope that is found only in Christ Jesus to a world who so desperately needs it. Why? Because we love the world. Because we love what is waiting for us out there. We love the people. We love, not worldliness, but we love the people that live in this world. And though they may look like us, we recognize in this place that they are not the enemy. That they are the ones who God has called us to go to. And so we carry this message to them. Number four, I love this, that they would comprehend the depth of Christ. Paul prays specifically for depth in their Christianity. Paul says, I pray that you would not be shallow Christians, that you would go deeper. And man, how we should be praying that for ourselves, amen? That we would be able to comprehend the depth of Christ. It is so sad how many believers, when you were, were to ask them about who Jesus is, they say, oh, he's my Savior. And that's about the extent of what so many believers know about Jesus. But what Paul says is, I pray that our understanding would be much deeper than that, that our understanding of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us would go much further than that, that our Christianity wouldn't be shallow, but it would be a mile deep, that we would understand the, the depth of who Christ is. He says here in this passage, as we get to verse 18, he says, I pray that you'd be rooted and grounded in love and may be strengthened, look at this, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. That we would know Jesus. My friends, the only way we can do that is through discipleship and the reading of God's word and through prayer as he leads us and grows us through His Holy Spirit, through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of God. We have to be intentional and discipline ourselves to learn more about Jesus. Paul says, I pray that the people, that you as a church, he says, I pray that you would come to understand the depth of Christ. Jesus is so much more than just our Savior from hell. He's so much more than the, the one who died on the cross to just keep us out of hell. He's so much more. I love the writings of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. 
He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Speaking of how God used the the Old Testament prophets to, to take his word to his people. And so the writer of Hebrews said that used to be the way it was. But he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so right here, the, the writer of Hebrews identifies Jesus as the son of God. And he begins to reveal to us that, that we have the authority of God's word as it is spoken to us. That is the, the gospel truth that Jesus brings. And he says this, and he who appointed, who is appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus is not just our Savior. He is the voice of God, but he is also the creator of the heavens and the earth and all those things he has inherited. All of these things he has inherited. The writer goes on to say this. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the world of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and so much more. The ra- Amen. Amen. Give him a hand. He's worthy of our praise, the radiance of the glory of God. Do we see Jesus this way? Do we even look for Jesus in this way? So often our eyes are on so much of the world that we don't even give Jesus much of a thought until we need something. Let us see Jesus the way Paul is praying that we would see Jesus Finally, he says this, and I know I must hurry because this is just the first point. We're going to need another hour for the second. Pat just said, oh, great. Isn't that what you said, Pat? But here's the fifth thing he prayed for. Very specifically in verse 19, he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You don't have to respond to this, but how many of you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Amen? Oh, you can respond to that. Doesn't matter. To be filled with the fullness of God. What does that even look like? What does it mean to experience the fullness of God? Here's what Paul says. He says, I pray for all of these things for the life of the church. He prays it for his own life. He prays it for the life of the church. He prays that all of these things will be things that the church is fervently praying for. Why? He says, for this reason, I pray for all of these things. Why do I pray for these things? He says, I pray for these things because I know that if this is who we are as a church, that we're going to see God do things that are beyond our imagination. That the vision he has given us, he will accomplish. The mission he has called us to, he will continue to send us out even further than we ever imagined. To overcome the circumstances in our life that are so painful, he will fill us with joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. The fullness of God and the result that we see when a church remains centered on Christ. Here's the second truth I want to give you, and I'm almost done. I promise you I won't go into much of this. I don't have time. But a Christ-centered church will see the unimaginable response when we center on Jesus. He says here in verse 20, it's almost as if Paul just sort of pauses after all that prayer. And he says this, now I want to stop for just a moment. 
and praise Jesus. He says in verse 20, he says, now to him who is able. How many of you believe he is able? He is able. We sang about that this morning. Jesus is able. Jesus, Paul prays to Jesus because he knows Jesus is sufficient. He knows that Jesus is, is, is sufficient. He is completely able to accomplish all of these things that we are praying for in our life. He says, he is the one who is able. And to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us, the, work, the power that Christ has empowered upon us, he says, to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Can you imagine the work that we are involved in today going on forever and ever and ever? Because these people sitting here this morning, we as the people of God sitting here this morning, refuse to be anything else than a Christ-centered church. Paul says, I believe that God is capable and able. He says all of this. He says basically this. He's capable of doing more than we can imagine. And the church will bring him glory forever and ever. I want to close with a quote from Matthew Henry. I just love this quote. Matthew Henry writing one of the most complete commentaries on, on the Bible that we see. And just an incredible writer. But he says this. He says... There is an inexhaustible fullness of grace and mercy in God which the prayers of all the saints can never draw dry. Whatever we may ask or think, still God is, is still able to do more, abundantly more, exceedingly abundantly more. He says basically this, if all of us here today were to fall on our knees before God, and if all of the saints of all of the world were to fall on their knees before God, and we were to cry out to God, God, use us to bring glory to your name, that everything that we could pray and everything that we could even consider in our finite minds, God is able to do even more than we ask or think. This is our God. This is our Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is good. Jesus is needed in our life. Jesus is our everything. He's our rock. He's our starting point. He is center in our life. Jesus is the glue that binds our marriages together. Jesus is the glue that holds the church together. Jesus is center in our life. He is center. And wherever we go from this day forward, you know this, that Cross Point Church will stand as Jesus being center in our life. Jesus is the one where we start with. Jesus is the one that we trust. Jesus is the one we have faith in. Jesus is where we begin. We are a Christ-centered church. Welcome to our church.
In just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to stand, and we're going to worship God in our last song. And this is an opportunity for us this morning to just spend some time with God. Spence is perfectly okay with you coming to this altar and praying or coming and speaking to one of our pastors. We want to give you the freedom to do that. You have the freedom to, to, to just express in, in whatever way God has laid on your heart this morning. Come and spend time with God in prayer. Worship Him in spirit and truth. But let us acknowledge today together. Let us to acknowledge today that Jesus you are the reason why we gather. And let us acknowledge today that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with saying that, acknowledging that to a holy God. He already knows. But let us also thank Him for redemption. Let us thank Him for restoration. Let us thank Him for the work that He accomplished on the cross for the redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Let us be worshipers here in this last moment together. And then as we leave this room today, let us commit to making Jesus the center of everything that we do. Let us push aside our worldliness and self-centeredness. And let us be followers of Jesus like we claim to be. Let's worship Jesus together. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you, God, for all that you are. We love you. We praise you. We we just absolutely adore you. And God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We, we know, God, that you are with us 24-7. We know that you go with us everywhere we go. But today, we have chosen to come into this room together and collectively worship you as a church, as a body of Christ. God, we want to be the church that is used in a mighty way for your kingdom, for your glory. Not that we could boast in any accomplishments of our own, but God, that we could boast in the power of an almighty God who is willing to change lives because your love is unconditional. And love, let us be the people who refuse to hate. Let us be the people who refuse to buy into the infectious hatred that this world seems to be involved in. Let us be the body of Christ, the bride of Jesus who says, God, what we choose to do is to love. Let us love the way Jesus loved a woman at the well. Let us love the way Jesus loved those who were sick. Let us love the way Jesus loved when he went into the home of sinners. God, let us love the way Jesus loved because let us be like Jesus. Help us to be like Jesus. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and now we respond. Amen.